0: Welcome to
1: the We Go There podcast. I'm Lexi. And I'm Nikki. And our favorite conversations are when someone starts by saying, this might be TMI, but...
0: Exactly. We go there because no topic should be too taboo, especially when it comes to women's health. We ask the questions you may be too afraid to ask and interview the experts to get the answers you need. So we're doing this completely
1: unfiltered. 100%.
0: Okay, let's go there.
1: We have a special treat for you today. We are interviewing the one and only Dr. Anna Maria Temple. She's a holistic pediatrician, best-selling author, mom of three, an award-winning speaker at the Harvard Club, and she's had over 100 TV news and podcast experiences. So in her 23-year career, she's treated over 38,000 patients in person and thousands by online courses. Her passion is to inspire, educate, and empower mamas to revamp their family's health and prevent children from developing chronic disease. So this is her bio, but the reason we reached out to her, and I'm just going to cut right to the chase, is because we did an interview prior to this on the topic of constipation, and we got some advice that seemed a little counterintuitive to what we believed. So we thought we would interview another pediatrician for a different perspective. So let's dive into that. Hello and welcome.
2: Welcome, welcome, welcome. So excited to be here. We're really excited to have
0: you. And I have to say, I was just saying to Nikki, I love your Instagram and the thumbs up, thumbs down, like scrolling yeah. pictures of just making it very simple. Of like, this is good yogurt for you, this is bad yogurt for you.
2: Yeah. Well, you know what? It's like my whole thing is I'm like, let's make wellness a little easier. Is so it seems like such a daunting task. So I'm all about slashing through excuses and I'm trying to make it as easy as possible. I love that.
1: Yeah, you're very talented at the way you communicate, and we're very grateful for you to be here. Just help us shed some light on this. So, okay, before we dive into the nitty-gritty, can you just explain um, what is a holistic pediatrician?
2: Absolutely. You know, there's a lot of misconceptions out there what that means. So holistic means we're looking at the whole person. I was trained in traditional medicine. Traditional medicine focuses on the one Um, organ systems. So if you have eczema, you go to the dermatologist. If you have lung issues, you go to pulmonologist. If you have stomach issues, you go to the gastroenterologist. So there's all these specialists for these organs. A holistic pediatrician looks at the whole person. So when you have eczema, asthma, or constipation. What we do is we're like, okay, well, the stomach, the lungs, or the skin don't live in their own microcosm. They're interrelated with your other organs, not only that, but with your family, with your environment, with your community, with what's going on in the world. So it's more to an issue than just the organ. So I look at the child in front of me. And when I try to diagnose and treat their eczema, asthma, constipation, I'm looking at a whole bunch of other things, including their other organ systems. Like I said, their nutrition, their lifestyle, their sleep, their stress, their family stress, their community, what's going on in the world, because that is all of it affecting what's going on with that one organ. Amazing.
1: But you weren't always a holistic pediatrician.
2: So how did that happen? Yeah, I was um actually I'm from Romania and my family immigrated here in 1984. So we escaped communism and they I've always wanted to be a pediatrician since I was five years old. So crazy. And it was never doctor, it was always pediatrician. Anyway, so my family moved here in 1984. Fast forward, you know, to adulthood, I went to medical school. Traditionally trained, and in 2007, I was five years into my medical practice, and I had three kids at that time, and all of my three children had chronic disease. Seasonal allergies, eczema, asthma, constipation, ADHD, recurrent sinusitis, recurrent croup, recurrent ear infections. I mean, you name an illness. My kids had it. My youngest couldn't even go out to do an Easter egg hunt because his eyes would swell shut Mm -hmm. and he would be covered in hives and writhing on the ground in pain, screaming from pain. And there was nothing I could do to help him. And I took the three ring circus to the doctor one day and I was like why are my children plagued by chronic disease? I'm a pediatrician. Like, why is this happening? And the answers were like, well, for the little one, we've run out of medications. He was on five meds at that time. Oh my gosh. The only option that we have is allergy shots. He was two years old for my daughter for her asthma, they're like, well, she can take inhaled daily steroids. For her eczema, she can put topical steroids. For her seasonal allergies, she can take her Zyrtec, and by taking the Zyrtec, it will control her asthma and her eczema. Her recurrent ear infections are going to get better because she will outgrow it, as she will outgrow her recurrent croup. For her constipation, we'll go ahead and use Miralax. And then by the time we got to my third kid who was plagued by snot, you know, you know, ladies, remember that? The kind of snot that like these days you can't leave your house. like You would never be allowed <laughs> in a store. <laughs> you know, like at school, like you're, not, you're like ostracized from society. Like, there were not <laughs> enough tissues in Costco to oh. take care of that. Anyway, by the time we got to him and his ADHD and his snot, I had stopped paying attention. And it was, I walked out of that office. And you know when the mama warrior takes over? you know, you're like, she takes over like when the kids are born, but she kind of hangs out tight for a little bit. And then you hear something and you're like, what? Wait, wait, what are we saying? That my children at the age of two, four, and six are going to be on chronic meds for the rest of their lives. You're telling me that's their story. That's when the mama bear took over and was like, under no circumstances, that's what's going to happen. I don't know what to do. Of course, you know, the mama warrior looked at my, Mama, medical self. I was like, girl, what you got going on? And my medical self, I had nothing. I didn't know any. I was like, ah, I'm literally at a loss. And so the mama warrior was like, don't worry about it. We got this. I see the vision. I see what we're going to do. I don't know how we're going to get there. I don't even know what the first step is, but we are going to figure this out. Anyway, a week later, it's amazing when you just open your mind. A week later, I went to my kid's school, the elementary school, and it was on a Tuesday morning, 7.30 in the morning, freezing my tushy off, sitting in like a seat for a first grader with the knees to my chest when the fog lifted and I t- saw clearly the root cause of my children's chronic disease. All the nutritionist talked about was sugar and I thought I was feeding my kids good food because they had strawberries at lunch and broccoli at dinner. And when that woman put up the presentation, I saw clearly what I was not doing for my children. So I went home on that Tuesday night, 7.30 at night in my stilettos from work, walked into the pantry and I threw out the Lucky Charm cinnamon toast scrunch, Pop Tarts, Toaster Strudels, mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, juice boxes, uh, chocolate milk, you name a garbage, we were eating it. And that's when I became an outcast in my family with my practice, with my friends. And my family thought I lost my mind, my friends did not know what was happening. And my husband and I started fighting over food, which continued over the next five years. But the mama warrior was like, it cannot be wrong to throw out food coloring and preservatives and sugar and replace it with more fruits and vegetables. And that's how I started. And over the next five years, because no one could stand in my way, because you know, when the warrior's at work, no one stands in your way, right? And my kids came off antibiotics, came off inhaled steroids, off topical steroids, no allergy medicines were ever needed, no ADHD medicines were ever needed. And then fast forward nine years later, we moved to New Zealand for a year and a half, no health insurance, no medications, no doctors, and my children thrived. They climbed the highest mountains and bungee jumped off the tallest bridges, and I saw what it was like to come back from chronic disease. So when we came back to the U.S. in 2018, I wasn't going to do it the same way again. I had to do it something different because I had to share this message with other families because there's more than one ways of doing a thing and our children can thrive without meds.
0: Wow. That's amazing. I'm just digesting
1: that. that story. Yeah. Like that's, and, and this is, it's interesting. And this is one of the questions we wanted to get at, but like, how maybe you've been shunned by the medical community. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think it's so interesting that you know we interview a pediatrician and now we're interviewing you, who you're also a pediatrician, but like you've got absolutely opposite advice, especially as it relates to dealing with say constipation. The biggest advice we were given for any kids that are dealing with constipation is to take um, Miralax in Canada. It's restoralax, or it's a type of stool softener, right? It's PEG. Can you explain what that is?
2: Yeah, so what it is, it's a solution that when you ingest it, it doesn't get ideally absorbed by the body and brings water into the colon and helps poop get softer so people can poop easier. And what does PEG stand for? Polyethylene glycol, which breaks down into components from antifreeze, which antifreeze does actually get absorbed into the children's bodies in small quantity, you know, those, but it does get absorbed, especially in kids with chronic constipation or severe bowel disease.
1: And why is it like, this is the number one go-to solution for the majority? Is, Is this not like a very commonly
2: prescribed medicine, right? It is a commonly prescribed medicine and In my 15 years, when I was doing traditional medicine, I prescribed it all the time. And I was like, it's fine. It's no problem. There's no long-term studies. And I would go blah, 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 blah. And I took it every day, every single day for 25 years, I took Miralax because it wasn't going to be a problem. And the doctors never said, hey, so um, why do you need Miralax? Like, let's question this. Like, What is going on with your body that as a 30-year-old woman, you're needing... Miralax, you know, and they just kept going, oh, it's working great. Let's continue prescribing. And so I was like, oh, let's continue prescribing for kids. And what it is, here's the interesting fact. The U.S. FDA has approved it only for the use in 17 and older. It is used in children as young as 18 months old off label. And we're talking for years and this is like a daily medicine. And it's, again, not FDA approved for kids under 17 years old. and it's prescribed because it's easy. You put this powder in a liquid, the child drinks it, doesn't have a smell, doesn't have a taste. They drink it and it works. Of course it works. I'm not going to tell you it doesn't work. I took it for 25 years. The problem is why does a child, a two-year-old, for example, need Miralax? Why does a 20-year-old need Miralax? We do not need a medicine to poop every day. If you need a medicine to poop every day, that means we have an underlying gut issue. And in medicine, in the traditional model, when I was seeing patients every 10 minutes, That is not a lot of time to sit and dig into like, so tell me about the processed foods you're eating. You know, what fiber do you put in your child's diet? Oh, they're picky eaters. Let's talk about picky eating, right? You don't have that time in a 10 minute visit, but in a 10 minute visit, I could prescribe Miralax. I had a handout on how to dose the Miralax. And then I'll just see you back in a few weeks and see how that's going. And if it's not going well, well, we're just gonna increase the Miralax. I could do that in a 10 minute visit. And I'm not blaming the 10-minute visits are not from the doctors. That is from the hospital administrations, from the suits, from insurance companies. La, 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 la. It's a big issue. If doctors could, they would spend an hour with each patient that is just not simply allowed in modern medicine by the power that be. So that's one of the things. Also, in medical school, we are never taught that it's a problem. We're just like, it's Miralax. Miralax. Don't have any problems. It's good, even though we're seeing that children on Miralax have neurological issues like worsening anxiety, tic disorders, neurodevelopmental problems, anger, insomnia, irritability, and the list goes on. And again, when we bring it up, it's like no, 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 no. That's just not you know. There's there's groups of people like I think one of the groups is like over fifty thousand families who have experienced symptoms. Secondary to Miralax. I mean, I can go like, all right, one or two people, you're like, it's no 50,000 families that get together and discuss all their concerns about Miralax. That to me, I'm like, we should pay attention. And that's what I learned as I opened my mind to natural medicine. I'm like, Do we know everything though? Do we know everything? And is everything that is taught out there, is that accurate? Because I'll question, you know, studies on water or studies on flaxseed. I look at all the different things on both sides of the argument to see, is it truly the right thing for this child in front of me?
0: And I mean, we have to say that you have a poop stuffed animal emoji behind you and now beside you because we were so fascinated with it when we came on. (laughs) So obviously you deal a lot with constipation, I imagine, um, and especially in children. So from your holistic pediatric view what are the solutions that you'd prescribe someone going through? Because when we spoke in this other interview, it was kind of, it seemed like a quick fix. It was like, oh, no problem. Here's what you need to do. Right, Nikki? And so what are the, yeah. being that, you know, what's the kind of analysis you go through and and what are the types of things and solutions that you would prescribe to the family and um, and parents with a child that has gone. Can
1: I also add yeah. that we were told probiotics are, are a waste. Yeah, of time.
0: yeah, we need to talk about probiotics as well because Nikki and I both take probiotics, and I was like, our faces, like jaw to the
2: ground. We're like, oh, I've always taken probiotics. <laughs> gut health. Yeah, gut health. Right. You know, um, what I usually tell my patients, I was like, you know, if we're going to look at something that's telling us that the body is off kilter, is pooping. And in Chinese medicine, 5,000 years ago, they said that if the gut is out of alignment, the rest of your body will follow and be misaligned, right? And in modern medicine, we're like seriously we know better let's do a million gazillion studies and you know what they found oh lo and behold listen to this so at the nih which is is the national institute for health they were looking to see to do the human genome project which is they were identifying all the genes over forty thousand genes in the sequence to see like who's susceptible to diabetes and cataracts and glaucoma hearing loss all that In their research, and while they're identifying these genes, they came across three trillion other genes coming from bacteria in people's guts. And then the NIH was like, wait a minute, for every one human cell, we are 10 bacteria cells. In the adult body, three pounds of our weight is actually the weight of the bacteria in our body. Pause for a second. Ew, that's disgusting. But- (laughs) <laughs> a major center in the. US right National Institute of Health has identified that our gut there is a, a such thing as a gut microbiome and in it resides trillions of bacteria that are responsible not just for pooping for our immune system so about 60 to 80 percent of our immune system resides in our gut How about our anxiety hormones and depression hormones where are those 60 to 80% of serotonin is actually produced in the gut. We used to think it was produced in the brain. It's mostly done in the gut and it moves up to the brain through the vagus nerve. And then, you know, after all these studies, we're like, actually, you know what? The gut seems to be the beginning of all illness. And I'm like, right on. And if your children do not poop every single day, a long snake, it needs to be a long snake. We're going to talk about babies in a second. We have a problem. When I was, when I was in my first start in pediatrics and had my first baby, I was always told that babies that are nursed poop once every seven days, and that's normal. And that's what I said, and that's what comes to find out that's not normal, actually, that nurse babies should poop every day. And it's going to get a lot of people upset because it's totally contrary to what you heard. I will tell you, give you an example. My daughter, my firstborn was a surprise breech baby and she was born via C-section. And because of the C-section, the antibiotics at birth, she never went through the vaginal canal where you get all the good microbiome from your mama and your dad. She came out, she was actually my sickest child, the one with eczema, asthma, allergies, ear infections, constipation. And she was a nurse baby who pooped only once every seven days. And we said, no big deal. And lo and behold, she had a gigantic dossier full of chronic disease. Her brothers were born via VBAC, uh, which means vaginal birth after a C-section. And they did not have any of the things. Yes, one had allergies and one had the sinusitis that we talked about but not close to the laundry list that my daughter had. My boys also pooped every single day without any problem. So just in my family, we had a great example why pooping every day from birth is really important to detoxify the body, to show us that that things are moving through the body as they should. And there is a strong correlation. So I have an online eczema course. And a lot of the kids are constipated and they have skin issues. And, you know, we go through the same talk like you're hearing today. And, you know, we're working and working. And the mamas are like, huh, now they're pooping every day. I also notice that the skin has cleared up. I'm like, huh. And then they'll say, oh, we have a flare. And my first question is always like, well, what's the poop like? They're like, huh, they just got constipated. And their skin's flaring. I'm like, huh you know so and i see that in kids i have migraines in my clinic behavioral issues um the list goes on and you know everybody sits back they're like oh huh. <laughs> like i know there's a strong relation between your gut and the rest of your body so that's how we began that's a really long story but the reason i say that because we don't take it seriously enough we tend to blow it off and because the abnormal has become normal pooping every 3 to 5 days or pooping every day by tiny little pebbles is now the norm for a lot of people, they will disregard this conversation and say, my, child, my child's fine, it's no big deal, so I want to really dig into what normal pooping should look like and why we should take care of it. And we begin with nutrition. Sugar and processed foods, so fried food, fast food, are going to be triggers of constipation. And then number three, which really upsets everybody, Dairy. Dairy is the most constipating food in the world. The problem is it's delicious. You know, if I just said, oh, Brussels sprouts are the most constipating, people are like, oh, easy fix. No problem, right? No, 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 no. Dairy. And I mean, the kids are addicted to dairy. Casein in dairy feeds into the receptor, the same receptor as opioids, which is comforting and calming. So you drink milk. Now, also when you drink milk, milk is tryptophan. Tryptophan turns into serotonin, anti-anxiety. Serotonin turns into melatonin, which helps you sleep at night. So it's very calming and addictive. So it is very difficult for parents to remove dairy from their children's diet. In addition to the fact that they were told that after you finish nursing or bottle feeding at the age of one, all children should be on milk because if you don't have milk, then you don't have enough calcium. And then you have fractures, even though the data actually shows opposite of that. So parents are just confused, they're like, do I take dairy away? But what if I don't have calcium? What if they have fractures? You know, So they're all confused on top of the fact that their children are addicted to it. But if there's one thing you can do today, I cannot tell you how many people, how many children we've been able to fix their constipation with just eliminating dairy for a period of time, 28 days, and then you bring it back just a little bit. There's no reason why we're drinking three glasses of milk having a cheese stick at lunch, yogurt for snack, and then cheese at dinner. I mean, if you really look at your diet, you're like, whoa, hold on. And a lot of people are like, oh, I don't need a lot of dairy. I'm like, wonderful. Then this is going to be super easy. So do a dairy elimination. 99% of people usually come back crying. They're like, wait, dairy's in everything. I'm like, I know. That's the problem. The problem is it's in everything. There's not a dairy issue. We have a dairy overload. So that's one of the things that if I was going to hone in processed foods, sugar, dairy, in order to help your child's bowel start regulating from a diet component, that's removal, but we always want to replace. We never just want to remove food from a child's diet. We replace it with fruits and vegetables. And yes, I'm sure your children are picky because when you fill your belly with a white substance, who wants a tomato and who wants broccoli? Broccoli's have a little bitterness to it. Tomatoes are not nearly as sweet as milk, even though it doesn't have a ch- Just regular milk is sweet. It breaks into sugar. It's, that's the nature of milk. And um, so it's a fight. So again, as a mama warrior, you're like, we are going to overcome this constipation. We're going to give them this wax. So now the children can have a grape at breakfast, one carrot slice at lunch, one slice of red pepper at dinner, or maybe your children don't like cooked vegetables, so present them with raw vegetables. Or maybe they the opposite. So start thinking differently and start making it a priority. And once it becomes a priority, you're going to change the tune. Obviously, we're going to have to increase our water intake because we're replacing the milk with a lot of water. Water is amazing because we 75% of our poop is made out of water. So we need water to poop. And then the probiotic question. Our gut is made out of right over 3 trillion bacteria. And it is true that not all probiotics are tested in children. True. It is true that not all probiotics do what they're supposed to be doing. It is also true that the FDA doesn't regulate probiotics. So you can go and find a nice probiotic on sale and you're like, this is amazing. And actually what's in that bottle is dead bacteria and you're just wasting your money. It is also true that you, if you continue eating fast food like McDonald's or whatever, Chick-fil-A, and then you take a probiotic, you're not pooping, it's not working, right? Because it's a supplement. It is not a medication. Supplement means you're doing lifestyle changes. And this supplement helps you transition, bridge the gap to help you achieve wellness. For There's no need for humans to be on probiotics forever. It is, but I do use it as a jumpstart to getting the bowels going, helping with chronic disease, preventing if we're dealing with infections or pandemic per se. Um, We do. And we do have data to show that probiotics, specific strands help with decreasing eczema, allergies, asthma, decreasing anxiety, decreasing depression. There's a lot of data to show that specific strands are very helpful. Of course, as the consumer, we have to be able to pick the right one. So the one thing that you can do as a consumer Whatever brand you have in front of you, call that company, ask for third-party testing, certificate of analysis. That company should be able to send you that piece of paper. And you can see that what's in that bottle is on that piece of paper and doesn't have pesticides, herbicides, and heavy metals. Mm.
1: That's great. That's That's huge. I think we're going to need to ask for that in the show notes, any of those studies that we can share. I have an audience that loves to read studies about all things, and I love to read them. But it's interesting that what you brought up about... um, I want to go back to the cesarean babies because I teach a lot of birth courses. I teach prenatal Pilates. and, And one of the things that I have, and I've had this on our blog for some time, but I recognize just now that I don't really talk about it that much to my students, and I should probably do a better job of doing that because we know there's about a thirty percent cesarean birth rate, at least you know on average in North America, and there could be you know vaginal swabbing done, right? And you're nodding your head yes, and people are like, ew, gross. You know, there's like a visceral reaction a lot of people have to this. Um, You know, my assistant just um, had a baby by cesarean, and I was like, you know, you you know, you may want to consider. She actually adopted a baby who was born by cesarean, and so I said, you know, why don't you, you know, look into some probiotics? You know, this baby's going to be formula fed. Um, She's adopted, so you're gonna, you know, want to have. A potentially probiotic that's geared specifically towards formula-fed babies, and it's going to be that much more important for health because her first adopted child was a vaginal delivery. And so, anyways, I'd love you to talk a little bit more about that conversation because, again, I don't think it's a conversation many. Wait, and you need have.
0: to talk about the vaginal swab more because I don't even know. I don't. <laughs> I don't
1: know about that. Like, no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, by, by the way, way, everyone out there, do you know your temples? Lexi is pregnant right now with twins. She already has two kids. So, you know, and she's had two vaginal deliveries. So you may also potentially, hopefully not, you don't want to, but you may need to give birth by cesarean with your twins, depending on what happens. So this is good information for you too. Yeah. Let's talk about that.
2: Okay. First of all, if you would have told me, well, I know, I knew about the vaginal swab, I think a couple of years ago, several years ago. And I thought it was the most disgusting thing that I've ever heard. I was like, oh, my gosh, like what are we saying? And then, right, as I, like my mind opened and I'm understanding about the gut microbiome and I understand we're covered in bacteria. And fun fact, you genetics are not just passed from like your genes and your cells, right? It's also you pass the microbiome from parents to the baby. And through a vaginal birth, here's ready, we're going to be really discussing for a second. So through a vaginal birth, the baby comes out and is exposed to the vaginal microbiome. And then on top of that, most mamas poop on the delivery table. And that actually happens for two reasons. One, there's pressure on the colon. And so a giant head is coming through mm-hmm. and pushing on the colon. So poop comes out. But Mother Nature has created this. We're about to get disgusted that baby is supposed to actually sample the feces coming out of mom because what? that is, I know. So how are babies born? The babies are not supposed to be sunny side up. They're supposed to be face okay. down facing oh the butthole, right? Okay. Everyone, so gross. Oh right. So babies are face down, facing the butthole as mom poops, the baby comes out, there's feces being smeared, oh whatever no. happening over there but that is how the the baby's getting the microbiome from mom and dad and is able to then fight off illness, disease, and chronic disease. In fact, um, so one of the things in the US that happens, a lot of moms are like, oh, I'm gonna do an enema, and it's offered in the newborn nursery. They're like, why do you do an enema so to make sure you don't poop on the birthing table? I'm like, stop messing with Mother Nature. Like there's a reason this happens. Is it disgusting? Yes, I'm sorry. I, you know, I've attended a lot of deliveries and I have my own children. The birth process is gross. It's it's blood and guts and stuff and (laughs) things coming out. But that's just humanity. You know, it's not supposed to be Instagram pretty. It's yucky. And that's okay. And there is a bacteria called B. infantis, Bifidobacter infantis, that in the 1960s was prevalent in majority of babies' poops and colons. And that's when if we look in 1960s, you'll see the, the rates of chronic disease were significantly different, significantly less than they are today. When we've sampled baby poops now in the 2000s, there's significant reduction. When I say that majority of babies no longer have B. infantis in their colons. And B. infantis specifically is linked to the develop lack of B. infantis is, lacked, is linked to Chron- development of chronic disease and obesity. And the reason B. infantis has now gone away from a lot of humans, even though you have a home birth, even though you're doing all this stuff and you're pooping and whatever is um, because it's no longer present in mom's gut microbiome because we're exposed to antibiotics as an example. So we're antibiotics like you're about on my holistic mama and I don't do antibiotics. But maybe when you were younger, you had a lot of ear infections. Maybe you had strep throat in college, you had UT eyes, or maybe as a teenager, you had a lot of acne. All of a sudden you start looking through your story. are like, wow, I did have a lot of antibiotics. Oh, wow. Okay. Or maybe during pregnancy, your stress level was astronomical. I don't know. Inflation, war, pandemic, mm, what's happening these days, right? No big deal. Well, that amount of stress during pregnancy will make the go away because he don't want to hang out in that kind of an environment. And then it's antibiotics in the water source. And the food we're eating, like animals, so when you're eating conventional meat, it is given antibiotics because they live in feces. Sorry, and the cows get infected, and the way they keep infections at bays, give them antibiotics. Fun fact: when you give animals antibiotics, they grow faster and bigger, and they're easy. They go to slaughter faster, therefore more money for the food industry. All that to say, on top of processed foods and all the other stuff, all that to say that. Our microbiome is sicker than has ever been before. When we look at tribes in um, you know uh, Central America and Africa where the modern world has not yet taken hold, their gut microbiome is beautiful. They have bacteria species that we haven't seen in the Western world in decades. And their children are born differently. Their children have a different course in their life than our uh, American and Canadian children. Who seemed to have all the privileges in the world?
0: Wow. I mean, Nikki, did you know that about the You did. Of course. I mean, I knew
1: about the vaginal swabs. Yeah. Like I, you know, with the microbiome, I knew it's linked towards it to obesity. But it's one of those things that like my sister-in-law gave birth and it was she knew it was going to be a second caesarean. And I was like, well, it won't be an emergency. You know what's going to be. Why don't you ask them at the hospital to do this vaginal swab? And they were like, "What? We don't do that. What are you talking about? Like, <laughs> you're such a freak. Like, why are you? Right? No, for real. Like, I would, real. Uh, what? What? So, I don't know. And it is pretty, pretty fast. Like, it's literally taking like stuff from birth, like the fluid and the mucus and the you right. know, we're getting nitty gritty here. We're going there and just quickly swabbing their mouth and nose. Um, and that's
0: what yeah. it is. It's just swabbing their mouth and nose. But, yeah, that's but it. in that one, there's no poop.
1: I would presume no not. No, there's I would presume no poop in not. In the vagina. No, there's no poke. It was just literally like vaginal. We'll yeah. call it fluid or like products of the vagina. Vagina and yeah. and and you you essentially quickly. So I guess you could do it yourself, you know. But <laughs> I was this true. is in Harvard. Like there, I was reading there was an article I sent to my friend from Harvard on this topic, and yet it's not getting airtime. It,
0: like, I've never of stuff, heard, I've never like, heard
1: about it, but I'm going to ask about it.
2: Yeah. Interesting. It is, it, but it sounds, but again, it sounds gross. You're like, but the baby comes through the vagina. Like if it's how you think about it, right? Cause you yeah. think like, oh, it grows bodily fluids. It'll gross. But the baby comes out through the vagina. They're supposed to be through the vagina, but yet we find it gross.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: I was in that camp. So I, I understand both, you know, both sides of that visual. For sure. For sure. Oh, yeah. this is
0: great. Um, I have a quick question around milk just, uh, personally. So I, so I had rheumatoid arthritis for, from like university for many years, really bad. And I, I chose like a natural approach, um, to resolving it because I got incredibly sick from the anti-inflammatory drugs and all of that stuff. So long story short, short, Dairy was the main thing I cut out of my diet because of the inflammation that it naturally causes um, and rheumatoid arthritis being a swelling of the joints, right? So anyways, with um, that being said, with children, is goat milk any different than giving your kids regular milk? Like I've given my son goat milk because from my research, it was better for you than regular cow's milk. Um, is there any validity
2: in, in that? Like, do you recommend that at all? I, you know, I'm of the, we. Uh, so if, again, I don't say to people that don't have issues, like don't have dairy. I actually am a big proponent of varying the dairy. I think that you should have cow milk for, like as you, you buy your your gallon of cow milk, let's say, and then you finish, of course, it's going to be organic, of course, minimally pasteurized, you know, whatever. And after you finish that, then do cold milk. And after you do goat milk, then do oat milk and then do some nut milks. And then that keeps the variety going. The body doesn't want the same thing over and over again. So if we were using goat milk, for example, great idea. But if you're having three glasses of goat milk a day, you're overloading the body with now goat milk. And then we think we're doing a good thing, but we're still pulverizing it goat milk, goat milk, goat milk. And I'm like, well, no, we should just keep it varied. The body wants variety. You know, one of the things in seasons in the US and probably I'm assuming in Canada, we have access to food in all sea, like blueberries all year long. Mm -hmm. In When I lived in New Zealand, blueberries were available in the spring and to the summer. And then by the fall, they were like $21, a tiny container. So if you were willing to pay $21, you can have a tiny, like five blueberries. And then they were gone. Then you couldn't have any of them. And so you had to eat within season. But the human body is supposed to eat within season. You have your berries in the spring, right? You have the different fruits in the summer. In the fall, we have root vegetables, pumpkins, gourds, and those are warm. Foods. I mean, if you look at uh, Indian medicine, Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, all the different stuff, they're always talking about foods and seasons because that's how our body knows how to process them. So that was a really long answer mm. to the goat milk, but variety is really key in the diet. And we often ha- either demonize a food and make one amazing. And then we just like eat that one. And I'm like, right. you know, you can eat tomatoes five, four times a day too. And then now you have an intolerance to tomatoes.
1: Mm-hmm. It's so true. And I, I love that. I feel kind of called out because my daughter, I put her on goat milk after. Um, and she's th- almost four and she's still obsessed with it. Like asks for I can't for get Clark off it. Every night. Oh, milk, milk, milky, yeah. milky. Like, and she's having uh, probably three cups a day. And we're talking like three eight ounce cups a day. And then, of course, doesn't want to finish her dinner and then asks for milk after bath. Like every single night. <laughs>
2: So, don't feel bad. Listen, my kids, I would go to Costco and I would buy their organic, like the amount of milk. They would stop me all the time. They're like, Do you need a cow? Do you need a Costco cow? I was like, Do you have a Costco cow? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's so my kids were drinking milk three times a day when we would travel the world at every restaurant to ask for milk. They would go play outside and come back in and drink cold milk. I mean, we were a milk. Eating, drinking, household. No that's opinion. how I was
0: raised. My family, and Adam, my husband, finds it so wild. Like, we were like a milk family. Like, the bags of milk in the huh, – Right? Canada it's bags, right? The bags. It was, and it was like – People oh, my the da- states, are like, what? It's in a bag? Oh, yeah, like, the bag. Yeah. And my dad would come home from work and be like, oh, did you get, pick up milk on your way home? Because we'd go through it so fast. Which is wild it's now. So- but I think it's okay because that's goat milk now with Clark. But it's, it's – yeah. We need to –
2: change i guess nikki yeah and, and the the milk the milk thing at night that's you know that's the thing they wait the kids are so good and manipulative they're cute that's why we don't return oh, them yeah. to sender but they're so stinking cute and so we're like oh but milky that's so cute right i mean oh and of course you can have milk as it's like now with cuddles and then we make it a whole thing and then we're like wait but you did not need your vegetables <laughs> hold on a second And you're four years old. Why are you drinking eight ounces of milk before bed? Like, we don't stop to think about it because now because we're bad moms, because we get in this habit and in this culture and it's kind and it's loving and it's warm. And it seems like you're being a mean person. If you're like, we're going to decrease that to five ounces, (laughs) you know, you feel like the worst parent and we're like, no, that's okay.
1: Yeah, it totally. Okay, I got some work cut out for me. <laughs> the dairy thing, I this. mean Piper's on cheese like hard. She's obsessed with cheese.
0: And I need like, yeah, like cheese sticks. Delicious. Anyways, we it's all have so our easy. things. Yeah, uh, it's so easy. easy. Snack. Yeah. It's an easy snack. Eat the easy stuff. Oh my gosh, this is great. This is so um so many <laughs> amazing, full uh-huh. like body advice here. What Nikki, do you remember? Are there any like we had at the it. questions. Had okay, so good. Questions Look, we're here. on the same page. <laughs> um, Nikki so many questions from her, so questions. like she put it out to Instagram um, around issues with constipation specifically, but not even just children related, like mostly it's related to postpartum and things like that.
1: I mean, I think we know it's diet and, and, yeah. you know, supporting the gut microbiome also potentially finding out like just, I think we're, it's great that we're shedding light on the whole possibility that your gut bacteria wasn't colonized if you were born via C section yourself, right? Like, What are some things that you can do to rebuild that? Like I took antibiotics in pregnancy. I'm convinced that that had an an impact on my kids, right? People who are strep B positive who get the IV drip, right? Like there are so many reasons your gut microbiome might be impacted. Um, And so I think just like trying to kind of play detective and figuring out what might be the root cause and then you know you're like okay this is i'm not crazy but you know then can be potentially empowered with knowledge to make change and not just take miralax you know as prescribed every day for 6 weeks with increasing dosage um you know and it's funny i was like i struggle myself and i have and i you know it took me a while to figure out what was going on and personally, I discovered that, you know, I feel so cliche when I say this, but I did discover a bad gluten allergy. And now if I drink, if I eat anything, I have severe stomach pain. So it was getting to the point in my late twenties where like, you know, TMI, but there'd be like blood with stool, chronic constipation. I would look seven months pregnant, you know? And like, I remember getting an x-ray and they're like, you're full of stool. Like, this is brutal. Go take Miralax or whatever, you know? And I remember, You know, and I'm I'm a dancer. I would be so self conscious in it was performing like in my costumes, you know, with my massive bloated belly. You know, it was very it was it was rough. Um, And so I finally was like, I got to do something. You get desperate, and I ended up cutting out gluten, and um, it was you know, it took a while, but it in now I realize if I eat it again, it's instant like it's it's pretty bad. It's very uncomfortable. So that is what worked for me, not saying it's gonna work for everybody. Um I don't talk about it a lot because I feel like it's such a cliche as, like, I teach Pilates and I don't eat gluten. Like, I feel like I'm so, you know. You but become it, that person. You become I'm that, that person. person. Yeah. I'm actually yeah. yeah. person. Yeah.
2: yeah. Listen, I'm that person. My husband was like, oh my gosh, you know, it like, he's like, you're that person. I was like, yeah, <laughs> I had this, the symptoms you had, exactly the same. Here's a shallow reason I changed and focused on gluten. Actually, back to the probiotics. So I was in the camp as I'm learning. So as my kids were getting better, I was changing my medical practice and probiotics came into play. And I was like, well, let me try this one on my patients. Eh. Try another one. Eh. I tried, took some, Eh. Not like nothing, still on Merrillex. And one day a drug rep came in and she's like, no, no, you got to try this probiotic that has all this medical research behind Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, inflammatory bowel disease, IBS. This is the Mac Daddy of probiotics because here's the medical data. And I saw the medical data and I was like, all right, game on game changer. And I was like, Oh, look here, probiotics at probiotics that work. Oh, maybe I should actually look at which ones, you know, that's why I'm talking about making sure, you know, which ones you have, because you have to have ones that have data behind it anyway. And then, so that's resolving. Now my Miralax dosing is just slowly going away. And then the same thing, the bloating, the blood, all that. And, um, so I kept going, I think it's gluten. I don't think it's gluten for a year and a half. I'm not kidding because I love beer. And I love sandwiches. And I was like, I would not be deprived. A 35 year old, I worked too hard to be deprived of these foods that are just like my comfort, blah, 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 blah. And my husband was like, oh my God, like just make a decision. Are you gluten tired? You're not gluten tired. Are you, gluten-? you know, because I would just every day, a couple of days, I'm like, why well, stop eating it for three days? I don't think it made a difference, but I think it made a difference. I was driving anyone nuts. Anyway, fast forward to our trip to Bora Bora. We're going to Bora Bora and I tend to wear inappropriate bathing suits. And I was not, I was visioning myself in my thong in Bora Bora. No one wants to envision a pediatrician in a thong, but just go with me. And in a Bora Bora, and I was like, I'm going to be nine months pregnant looking like after working so hard at the gym because possibly a gluten. So then I was like, okay, I'm going to not, I stopped eating drinking beer and eating gluten for about two weeks before a trip. And then once we're on the trip, that was a two week trip. So then I wasn't touching it in there, no bloating. I looked awesome. I rocked my song, just saying. And I was like, oh my God. And since then I stopped eating gluten after six years, I tried to eat it again. All the symptoms came back, stopped eating it. All my symptoms went away. So I'm like, it is, is not. Cause then a lot of people will say, you're just making it up. You're that person. You, and I was like, no, for my body because after 25 years of Miralax, my gut got destroyed, which took my thyroid along with it. And then a gluten sensitivity, because it all starts in the gut and no one paid attention to it. And yeah, so now I have issues with gluten, but it all starts with the fact that no one asked me, why are you on Miralax every single day?
1: Wow. This is so good. I, oh, yeah, I feel this. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I've also worn the scandalous costumes. Feel like it's, pregnant. it's alleged. It's totally alleged. <laughs>
2: no, there's no proof. It's alleged.
1: <laughs> we can relate on many levels, my friend. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my I gosh. Okay. This is... We could talk to you for hours, I feel like, you, you know... Have such it, a wealth of knowledge. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's refreshing to speak with you. And it, I mean, obviously... I don't know. I'd like to kind of just zoom out for a second and you kind of share a little bit more about like, you know, maybe to wrap up some of the issues you see in our healthcare system model, what you want more people to know, uh, that kind of thing.
2: I think there is a lack of trust in um, our current model. And I think there is a continuous search for the quick fix and the quick answer. And TikTok, which I love, of course, but is not helping anything because again, you're looking for the fast, quick. We are number one country, the US, the US is the number one country in prescription medications. We're number 20 in number of population. So we're not the most populated country, but yet we're the number one country using uh, the most prescription drugs. And it is quick and easy. We're like, oh my gosh, well, I don't, my child is constipated, going through the picky eating, rehab, taking away dairy, not going through fast food, exhausting. Miralax is easy. Oh, my teen has anxiety. Ugh, I don't want to fight with them about screen time, kicking them outside uh, dealing with their um, sports drinks and their sugar addiction—I mean, that's just exhausting. We're just going to go ahead and give them a medication. It's—we have to get out of the mindset of it's going the quick fix. Being, so, you know, one of the things that happens in my, in my clinic, everyone's like, wow, you know, some people get quick results, like in a couple of weeks, some people get results in six months, but do you have to have the patience for six months before you throw in the towel, because we are in a culture of goldfish where we're like, need information fast, need to change it quickly, need this needs to be done immediately yesterday. I don't have time. I don't have time. I do a million things. And it is that attitude that's got us into trouble and the human body knows what to do the human body's been around for thousands of years we've had viruses bacteria fungi and plagues and diseases and pandemics for thousands of years the human body knows what to do it's us humans who decided that we can go in a lab and alter things and make things better and mother nature is like you silly people let me show you what's going down boom pandemics And because we don't know, we're not trusting our body. In medical school, we are not taught, trust your immune system, feed it right, let it sleep, de-stress it, go outside, drink more water, poop every day, and the immune system will take care of you. You will be fine. No, no, no. In medical school, it's like, oh, disease, medicine. Oh, disease, shy. Oh, disease, hospitalization. Oh, disease, IV drip. I mean, it's... It is because it's that kind of a mentality that's got us into this pickle because every medication comes with a side effect, come with a long-term thing and with other medications. Data shows that once you begin one medication, you're at about 75% chance of being on a second medication and the numbers just keep going up. But, but uh, the average adult in the US is on four medications daily. Wow. That's- what? That seems, wow. Yeah. And you know, when you talk to adults, it's like, oh, you're in blood pressure medicine? They're like, well, yeah, because, you know, I'm just older and it's just normal to be on blood pressure medicines. It is not normal to be on blood pressure medicines. It is not normal to be on cholesterol medicines. It is not normal. These are, but we've normalized it because changing the diet is really hard. I knew I waffled for a year and a half. I told you I didn't want to change my diet because it was too hard. My kids were sick as thing. It was really hard until the day that I was like, whoa we gotta do something different that I change our diet. It is hard. I'm not here to tell you it's easy, it's hard. Mindset is the first step. Once you decide that this is no longer your story, you will change. And here's the thing that I, when you start looking at medicine in a holistic way, I find it so empowering. I am not slave to my genetics. I am not slave to who my parents were. I am not slave to what's going on right now. I am not slave to my current condition. I have the power to change the story, to change the story for my patients, for my children, for my family. We can change the narrative, but you have to decide to do it. Mm -hmm. So true. (laughs)
0: Yeah, mic drop, seriously. (laughs) I'm a big believer. I mean, I've I've been in remission from rheumatoid arthritis for like years and years and years. And I I know it was because I decided to get off meds and go and eat incredibly well and, you know, do all of the things. So I am, I believe, I believe in <laughs> what you're, what you're uh, putting down. I'm picking up for sure.
1: Oh, you've summarized it all so beautifully. Yeah. So thank you for that. This is, I hope we're going to be very, very helpful for people to listen to. And we have covered a lot of ground here today. So <laughs> much, so much. so much,
0: so much. Thanks for coming on. Uh, oh, of we'll course it's touch. so
2: great. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode. And in the meantime, follow us on Instagram at WeGoTherePodcast and check out WeGoTherePodcast.com for more info.